Welcome back, everyone. This is Discussing Who, and I am Kyle Jones, and joining me on this podcast, as always, Mr. Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? I am doing quite well, sir, and how are you on this fine day? I can't complain on this fine day. You and I have been busy lately. We haven't gone anywhere, but we've been recording interviews left, right, and center. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, And we're going to be going to a convention up here pretty soon, aren't we? We are indeed. June the 9th and 10th, that is, of course, 2018, because you never know when somebody might be listening to this. It may be two years from now. So if you're listening to it right after this episode goes out, 2018, June 9th and 10th, Huntsville, Alabama, Con Castabras, as you could probably guess, a Doctor Who convention. Oh, yeah, man. I'm excited. It should be a lot of fun, dude. I am excited as well. Also, we will be from 2.15 p.m. to 3 p.m. that day. We will be, and of course, that Saturday, we will be on the main stage with a gentleman by the name of Matthew Kressel. Yes, yes, and we're actually going to go into an interview we recently had with Matthew, right? Indeed we are. So we will have an interview with Matthew in just a quick moment. But for anyone listening, uh, make sure you stay around to the end, and Clarence and I will be back to wrap up. So we will be right back with Matthew. Coming to us from the constellation of Castabarus. You know, I have a feeling that there's conventions going on in Castabarus. Is that correct? <laughs> that would be correct. Cool beans. So, Matthew Kressel, welcome. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Minus some allergies, as you may be able to tell from my voice. So, please forgive me if I sneeze at some point. <laughs> well, if I'll forgive you of that, if you forgive me, if I all of a sudden start coughing like crazy from allergies, we'll forgive each other. How about that? Sounds like a plan to me. Good. So, Matthew, are you starting to feel the heat of the approaching con, sir? <laughs> well, it- as... As a con chair, it's uh, when do you not feel the heat of the approaching con? (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) So let me follow up that response with a question that goes something like this. When you're thinking about planning 2019 con Castaveras, when does that begin? It has already begun. uh, As a matter of fact, uh, about two or three months ago, as a matter of fact. I've said before uh, in other interviews and indeed at the convention itself, because we do have a sort of a whole behind-the-scenes panel where attendees can ask the four of us who run the convention questions. And I've always said that running a convention is a lot like a NASA space mission in that you spend months, sometimes years, planning for one, and you throw ideas out here and there. Some, some things work out. Some things don't. And getting it off the launch pad is the hardest thing. And you do a lot of planning, and you get to the day, you actually get it going, you make some mid-course corrections here and there, and then it's all over, and you start all over again. So sometimes, I mean, there's there's been times in the past where, particularly with guests, because people have busy schedules and whatnot, you literally have to plan for some people months, even years in advance. Uh-huh. Interesting. So let me ask you this. Let's kind of go back to the beginning because you're we're kind of talking into the future and planning into the future but since this is doctor who related let's go into the past and actually kind of tell anyone who's listening to you know from our audience that may not be familiar about as it's familiarly called con k 
where does it get its start and how specifically did you become involved in planning? Well, it got started before I ever came on the staff. It started um, as a bit of an offshoot of something called Persicon here in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, that was run for many years uh, by Ellie Collins, who's actually a guest at our con, um, through some people she knew. And as that con was coming to an end about eight, nine years ago, um, they were trying to think of other things to do because that had been an anime convention. And the story that I'm told is that – my kind of bosses on the staff, Bonnie and Lori, were sitting at a table having a conversation, and all of a sudden, a guy walked in as dressed up like uh, the Tenth Doctor, David Tennant's Doctor, <laughs> and they went, "Well, there's an idea." Yeah. Um, and they started planning it there, and that was sometime in 2011. I actually got involved just a couple of weeks before the con started in 2012, the very first one. And it started in a very kind of innocuous kind of way. I found out about it on um, Facebook through my then girlfriend and then my brother who went to one of the high schools around here, saw one of the flyers up, sent me a picture of it. And I went, Ooh, I I really want to go. And I'd been going to Chicago TARDIS, uh, which is I think the Midwest's largest hoop convention, uh, for God, four or five years at that point. Um, so I was excited by the idea of, you know, having a who convention in my hometown, as it were. And I just happened to see a Facebook post on the group they had set up for the con asking for anybody who had classic series DVDs um, who wouldn't mind loading them to the con for their viewing room on the Saturday evening. Uh, would anybody like to volunteer for that? And I'm a huge classic who geek. That's where I started. Uh, weirdly for somebody who started watching the show in like 2007, but I came to it through classic who rather than new who. Hmm. And I put my hand up and said, yeah, I'd be happy to loan you my DVDs. And I went, great. Thank you. And a little while after that, they were like, does anybody actually want to kind of oversee the viewing room for four or five hours on the Saturday night? And I kind of thought, well, it is my DVDs I'm loaning. It's not like I'd probably be doing anything else. You know what? I can keep an eye on my DVDs. I can, Rewatch some of my favorite Who stories. So, sure, I'll do it. And from there, I just was a volunteer on the staff, and I guess I impressed Bonnie and Lori enough that <laughs> I was eventually uh, promoted to being a con chair. So I do a little bit of anything and everything now. That's awesome. So let me ask you, you said in 2007 is when you really took off your Who fandom. So what drew you to the classic series as I know you watch the new stuff as well, but what kind of drew you back to the classic series? Because I'm a new Who person myself. And sometimes I have I have trouble going back and watching the old things. So what was the draw for you to go back to the classic and really dive deep in that? It goes back a little bit further than that. I actually encountered Doctor Who for the first time, I believe in 2000, on BBC America. It was um, summer in between middle school, uh, sitting at home by myself, not much else to do, but, you know, having, you know, a satellite dish and, you know, 500 channels to choose from. And BBC (laughs) America used to show uh, Tom Baker era Who at like seven o'clock in the morning. Planet of Evil episode three or four, I think, is my first Doctor Who episode. And I happened to see uh, Pyramids of Mars, Seeds of Doom, Mask of Mandragora, Hand of Fear. And then they just stopped. I don't know if they just shifted it to another time slot where I never saw it or what. Um, So I was aware of Doctor Who kind of vaguely through that experience. And then in January 2007, I was in my local public library, this small town called Gunnersville, Alabama. And all of a sudden, there were seven Doctor Who DVDs on the shelf. 
um, the five doctors, the three doctors, Seeds of Death with Patrick Troughton's doctor, and the entire Key to Time season. And I don't know why I said five doctors, but I picked five doctors up off the shelf and took it home and watched it. And it was just, that's where I started. And then I was surprised to discover that the show had, you know, not only ended, but it had come back. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I started with Classic Who because well, I guess when I got into it, that's all I had. And I remember being utterly amazed because you, you, you know, there were seven DVDs in my local public library. And to suddenly go online and discover, wow, there's yeah. not just hundreds of TV stories, but there's there's audio dramas and there's novels. I mean, I was just in heaven at that point um, as a geek. And when I got into Doctor Who, also coincided uh, with a very bad sort of dark time in my own personal life. Um, and it became very much a life raft for me. You know, I clung on to Doctor Who as sort of a reason to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So, and especially the big finish stuff. Uh, I've always kind of had a penchant for uh, audio drama and then to discover Big Finish very early on uh, into being a Doctor Who fan. And Big Finish is still a thing I'm big into. So, But I think it was because, going back to your original question, having done a, a massive digression, as it were, um, I, ca I came to Classic Who because that was what was available to me. And also, I, I grew up watching things like the original Star Trek, for example. So ah. production values didn't really <laughs> bug me as much as it might, say, somebody who you know, only watches you know, newer stuff with yeah. you know, CGI and expecting everything to be kind of photorealistic, as it were. No offense to people who are, but I guess <laughs> I, I just came to it from a different perspective. Very good perspective. So this leads into one of my go-to questions whenever I first talk to someone who's a Doctor Who fan, which there are two, it's a two-part question or two questions, which the first part is, who is your favorite Doctor? Sylvester McCoy. Interesting. Interesting. Isn't that, um, um, oh, what's her name? Um, Ace. And, uh, oh, uh, no, Nicole. Nicole. Yeah, yeah uh, Miss Mazza. Mazza. That's, yes. that's her favorite as well. Which surprised me when she said it. So what draws you to, to that, this particular doctor? Oh, I, I, I love that question because I don't think I've ever come up with a satisfactory answer for it in my own mind, to be honest. There's just something about that character. I think it may be that there's sort of a slightly darker edge to, to his doctor, especially in stories like Curse of Fenric and Survival. And then when you start getting into things like the the, the Virgin New Adventures and even some of the Big Finish audios, um, there's also just something about McCoy as a performer that sort of drew me in in a big way. Um, I came to his doctor pretty early on in when I got into the show in 2007. It was one of Remembrance of the Daleks was one of the very first DVDs I bought uh, because I just I was a big Dalek fan. It's like, ooh, there's a, another Dalek story. This one looks really interesting. It was just something about that character drew me in so much so that one of the, I, I spent I don't even want to think about how much money I spent. I have a Seventh <laughs> Doctor costume I put together right down to the umbrella nice. and the vest. <laughs> At a time when you could not go out and purchase the vest, I hasten to add, and I own two of them. So, wow. go figure. Interesting. Interesting. So, uh, you, that leads – I'm going to have to interject an, uh, an extra question. How did you manage to get that vest? The vests happened because there's a guy named Bob Mish, who you may be aware of, uh, who's big in the costuming, the cosplay stuff. And about 10 years ago now, good grief, that seems like a long time ago, um, he put together runs of various Doctor Who cosplay items that you couldn't readily go out and purchase. 
And he found a company in the UK that was willing. I think there had to be 50 of us had to sign on to do it. Uh, but once he got an order for 50 of us, um, the company made the vest. They actually got a hold of one of them that was screen accurate or one of the screen used ones, I should say. So the vests are actually quite screen accurate, probably even better so than the official ones that came out a few years ago. And because having spent, how much did I spend? I, I guess in total with shipping and everything, I think I spent $138 on, on one of them. Um, and because I hadn't spent enough money already when he did a second run of them, and I always thought, well, you never know, so I might spill something on it, or, <laughs> you know, it's wool and it's not easy to clean. So I went, you know what? I'm going to buy a second one. So I have two question mark pullovers <laughs> for reasons only a Doctor Who fan could possibly understand. Cool beans. So my original second question is going to be, who is your favorite companion? That's a tough one. Um, <laughs> that's an even tougher question than the doctor question. Um, overall, uh, probably Sarah Jane Smith being the classic series fanboy that I am. Um, there's just what it's like. There's just something about her performance in that and the way that they consistently wrote her. You know, she's never quite the damsel in distress. And there's always, even though she's the, you know, the whole point of having a companion character is to ask questions, you know, what's that doctor? Why are you doing that doctor kind of thing? There's just so, there's just something about the way that she plays it that I think is just so appealing. Um, and it never feels condescending in a way that some of the other companions have at times. Um, Ace obviously is in a very close second. There's just something about that character as well. The fact that she's not your typical doctor who companion. Um, so it's, Sarah Jane and Ace, I think, or if, if, you know, a, Sarah Jane may be, you know, just ranked slightly higher, but it's probably a tie between the two of them. So you've mentioned Big Finish, um, talking about you going in and, and loving listening to those audio uh, dramas. So what got you into Big Finish uh, and how would you recommend that somebody get into it? Because I find that I don't often listen to a lot of Big Finish things. So what would get people in it? And uh, I guess I guess you've done reviews of these as well. I have um, both both uh, written on websites uh, like Warp Factor and the Vocal Futurism page, but also uh, as a podcast, a um, more or less defunct podcast called Stories from the Vortex, uh, for those who want to seek it out, where myself, Mary Lang, and Robert Haynes from the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast uh, for – period of a couple of years sat down and on some kind of systematically went through the big finish audios here and there reviewing them. I actually came to it through Paul McGann's doctor actually. Cause of course for the longest time, all we had was that one TV movie from him yeah. and it wasn't available here for, you know, the better part of 15 years after it aired. Um, I came to it because I don't think it's on the website anymore, but used to on the classic series website was the, 2003 uh, webcast version of Shada, where because Tom Baker didn't want to be in it, they got Paul McGann to come in and do it. Um, oh, wow. And they they wrote a whole sort of opening like four or five minute scene to explain that this is the Eighth Doctor meeting a slightly older Romana who's president of Gallifrey now and realizing that there's this kind of gap they have to go back and fill. Um, and it's – I listened to that. Um, I got in – 2007 was my senior year of high school, the back half of it anyways. And I listened to part of it while I was working on things like, you know, I was on yearbooks. If I was a nerd, even then, who am I kidding? <laughs> um, so I sat down and listened to, I think, three of the six episodes on there that way. And I just kind of went, well, I want to hear the rest of it. And at the time, my 
I was still living with my parents at the time, and our internet connection was dial-up for those Ooh, who remember ouch. those days. I yeah. do, sir. So do I. Um, so when I discovered that the Shada webcast was available on CD, um, I decided to fork out 15 bucks, I think it was at the time, to get it. Um, and then I, of course, had already discovered that there were all these episodes from the 60s that were missing but existed on audio. So I think I bought Shada and uh, Evil of the Daleks, I think on the same day from the same vendor on Amazon. <laughs> and that was where I started. Shada was my kind of was my first entry into Big Finish. My first proper Big Finish audio was a story called Zagreus, which is billed as being the big 40th anniversary story because it's got, you know, not just McGann, but Peter Davison and Colin Baker and Sylvester McCoy and a whole host of companions. And to paraphrase one of Big Finish's former people, Gary Russell, uh, my reaction to it was, I'm listening to Sagreus. I have no <laughs> earthly idea what's going on, but isn't this fantastic? <laughs> um, the, the, Zagreus's problem, and why I'm, I'm going to suggest that if you want to listen to Big Finish, do not start there under any circumstances. <laughs> you so, should know. Go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Um. Zagreus comes at an interesting point in that it's not really a 40th anniversary story, but it's the story that links together uh, two narrative strands involving Paul McGann's Doctor. So it's not so much a 40th anniversary story as a eighth Doctor story with one heck of a guest cast. <laughs> um, so it, it, even though there's no joke, the opening nine minutes of it is basically a recap of the story that came immediately before it for the eighth Doctor. And the story still doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Uh, so let me let me ask you this because you kind of segued perfectly into our next question, which is if there were someone curious about these stories, but are you know they go to Big Finish website and you know they're inundated with you know Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, all these different variations and the Unit Adventures, the River Adventures, etc. and so forth, and they're like, where do I begin? What would be your answer as the knowledge you have of Big Finish, what would you recommend someone as, okay, you're new to Big Finish, here's where you need to start? It really depends on what you like from Doctor Who, because one of the great things about Doctor Who is that uh, it's a bit like the weather. Um, it's a wonderful source of conversation, but also if you don't like it now, wait five minutes and it's going to be something else. And Big Finish has a Doctor Who story for every season. So if you like, if you're a big fan of New Who, I'd recommend you start with the Tenth Doctor Adventures. Uh, probably the set they did with Donna No with the Donna Noble character, where they got Catherine Tate and David Tennant back in the oh, studio. Nice, very um, nice. Those aren't personal favorites of mine, but I know people who love that Doctor Companion team. So that's a good place to start. Um, if you're just looking for a great example of what big finish can do without worrying about canon and in inverted commas you just want to hear a fantastic piece of audio drama there's a series big finish did in 2003 called doctor who unbound the whole premise of which is that it's a series of what if stories nice. the second the second one of those and i'm actually re-listening to it in the car at the moment as a matter of fact is called sympathy for the devil and it's basically a what if the doctor arrived too late to be unit scientific advisor. So instead of landing in 70s or 80s UK, he lands in Hong Kong on the night before the 1997 handover from Britain to China, 
meets a brigadier who didn't have the doctor around working with unit and has basically been exiled into retirement where strange events start happening almost as soon as the doctor arrives. So you've got uh, David Warner, who's a great British character actor. You may recognize him from, you know, three different appearances in Star Trek, the villain in the original Tron, um, Billy Zane's bodyguard in Titanic. Uh, he was the professor on the Russian submarine in the Matt Smith episode Cold War. Ah, okay, uh, cool. Yeah, mm. he plays a, he plays a alternate third Doctor, Nicholas Courtney, the Brigadier himself, is obviously in it. Um, but it's the guest cast is interesting because there's a certain Mr. David Tennant, pre tenth Doctor, playing a really unfriendly uh, unit colonel, but also. <laughs> Mark Gatiss is in it playing the master. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Okay. So if you just if you're not worried about yeah, if you're not worried about canon, if you just want an example of what Big Finish can do in terms of their scope, their storytelling, how things sound, because it's got you know, Big Finish has become well known in the audio drama industry for these big cinematic soundscapes. The that story, Sympathy for the Devil, would be a good place to start. Cool. Cool. Well, this particular question that I that that, w- that I have next on our list, which is, anytime I find out something new that I learn new that I did not know before, I find that freaking awesome in, in relation to Doctor Who. And and you actually taught me something new today. So uh, kudos to you. And I'm about to tell you what it what it was. I was reading an article that you had sent me, and it was talking about the decision to cast Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor, and you went back into Doctor Who history, and you went through, you know, all the different times this has been hinted, basically stating, and you know, that this is not something new. What I learned today was about an interaction between Michael Grade and Sidney Newman shortly after the um, Sixth Doctor had left. And for anyone listening who may not be familiar with those names, Michael Grade, who is the BBC controller, notoriously known for putting Doctor Who on hiatus, quote-unquote. And then Sidney Newman, of course, is the reason that Doctor Who is on the air to begin with. So would you like to elaborate a little bit of what was going on in that conversation between Michael Grade and Sidney Newman? Certainly. Um, from the information I uncovered in the process of researching that article, which is um, on futurism, it's called a do- it's called a brief history of the female doctor. I believe it's what it's called. Correct. Um, Colin Baker had been fired by Michael Grade and Jonathan Powell, the uh, con- who was at the time the BBC controller of drama, as part of a big general shakeup in Doctor Who. And one of the things that Gray did was he reached out to Sidney Newman, who by now um, had very much moved on away from the BBC. But he was, as you say, essentially the de facto creator of Doctor Who in many ways. And Gray reached out to him and said, the show is in trouble. You're the guy who created it. What would you do? And Newman sends him a memo, and amongst the ideas he suggests as a way of bringing the show back from the edge – is to go out and cast a female doctor. Oh, man. Um, This is in 1986-87, and Grade was struck by that idea and some of the others that Newman put forward enough that he actually set up a meeting between Newman and the aforementioned Jonathan Powell, who, as the head of BBC Drama at the time, is essentially Doctor Who's uncredited executive producer. 
Unfortunately, Newman and Powell did not get along at all. So that idea went absolutely nowhere at the time in 1986. And of course, Newman eventually goes back to Canada, as I understand it, and Powell eventually leaves the BBC. And of course, Sylvester McCoy gets cast. So maybe in a roundabout sort of way, it's a good thing it didn't happen then because we wouldn't have gotten Sylvester McCoy, who's my favorite doctor. But the whole point of that article was that, you know, there's people I, I get the impression online um, and I don't know if you two gentlemen have come across that in your own sort of reading of things and listening to podcasts. There's a lot of people who sort of feel like that this idea just got pulled out of a hat um, here recently, that somebody just went, well, you know what would be a good idea? When the truth of the matter is, is that it's an idea that's been around nearly, you know, four decades at this correct, point. Correct. Correct. Um, correct. So that yeah, was think- sort of. Go ahead. Sorry. No, yeah, I was going to say, I think the thing is people just even even though the idea has been around for so long, people just can't come to terms with it. And, you know, it's funny that even as recently as the last few years, you hear, hear people saying that, oh, no, there's no way we're going to be able to do it with a female doctor, you know. And we always talk about on this show about how if any show is poised to have a female character replaced or or have uh, this regeneration into a female character. It's, it, it's Doctor Who. That's what Doctor Who is all about, at least in my opinion. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the whole reason Doctor Who has survived for going on 54 years now is because – well, going on 55 years, excuse me. Um, the whole reason it survived for that long is because – there's always been somebody there willing to make changes if necessary. You know, William Hartnell wanted to leave the role in 1966. They could have very easily pulled the plug on the show then. Went, you know, we've had, you know, we've had three years. That's a very good run. You know, they could have cast somebody who was very much like Hartnell and put him back in the wig and said, "We're just going to keep going this way." But you know, they bring in Patrick Troughton and say, "Let's make this a completely different character." Same thing at the end of the 60s, you know, going into the 70s and 80s. You know, it's a show that is ever-evolving, um, and that's part of the reason it survived for so long. When it in, when it gets into trouble is when it stops, when it stagnates, and either creativ- creatively wise or in terms of production values, it sort of gets stuck, and it gets stuck in a rut, and it can't get back out again. And, you know, that's interesting that you, you know, box it in a little bit like that, which is – uh, as you were talking, I was hearing when you said the creativity and the production, you know, there are stories that Moffat did that I am a big fan of. I mean, he did The Day of the Doctor. He was, you know, the brainchild behind that. But there are elements that he did that not that I'm saying are bad. I'm saying I'm curious now not only to see Jodie Whittaker, but I'm curious now to see how the stories are different. Because I think, Clarence, I think you will agree, going back in our reviews of the, you know, ninth Doctor stories, and now we're into the tenth Doctor stories, there's just a different tone than what we've had with maybe Matt Smith or Capaldi. Did I lose you guys? Yeah, no. yeah, man. Okay. Totally, totally Sorry. agree, man. Totally agree. All right, good deal, good deal. I just thought my connection had dropped. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, so, Matthew, if I could ask you a question. If you were recommending any one Doctor Who story for someone who has never seen the show before, what would that be? Ooh, just one. Um, Once again, going back to the question about Big Finish, it's really down to personal taste. But I think 
you know, the 11th hour, I, I think, is a very good place to start. It's a neat little encapsulation of kind of everything that makes Doctor Who what it is, sort of the seriousness, but also the whimsy, the eccentricness of it. Um, and it's just it's just a fantastic story anyways. Um, and of course, it's a fantastic debut for Matt Smith's Doctor as well. So I think, you know, so I think that that's a good place to start for me anyways and kind of my thinking about it. Um, it depends on how much you really want to get into the show and how much you really want to dip into it, I suppose. What I would recommend not doing is going all the way back to 1963 and starting there if you've never seen the show before at all. Um, I know I know people who've tried to do that and have always kind of walked away from it going, I can't get into this, man. So I think some of the new Who stuff, uh, probably the 11th hour then or maybe even Rose if you want to go back that far. Cool. Cool. Which, Clarence, that was your first, uh, you know, connection was with Rose. Yeah, yeah. I started from the 2005 series on in. And, you know, um, we've talked about it many times. After the first season, I was pretty much hooked. But I think it's that thing you said, you know, people saying they can't get into it. You just got to stick with it a little bit longer. And like most people that I know who really stuck into it, they become avid fans. It's just a thing of staying in there and becoming connected with these characters because, Doctor Who is all about the characters to me. Yes. Very good point. Very good point. So uh, do we want to go into some more information about Khan Kostiveros? I think <laughs> we should. Why don't we? Yeah. So uh, what? who are your headlining guests for this year's convention? Well, this year's convention, we're lucky to have Mr. Mark Shepard, um, Canton Everett Delaware III, uh, in two Matt Smith episodes, The Impossible Astronaut, Day of the Moon, but also well-known to fans of genre as... Crawley from Supernatural um, appearances in Firefly, Battlestar Galactica, The X-Files. He's You may not recognize the name, but if you Google him and you see that face, you will know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, and we're very lucky to have him on the back of his um, recently leaving Supernatural. Spoilers for that show for anybody who does watch it who hasn't caught up. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, we also have Catherine Stewart, uh, a.k.a. Jenny Flint from the Paternoster Gang. Yes. Uh, who we're lucky to have this year. Uh, we had Neve McIntosh, Madame Vastra, last year, and she was a hoot, so we're looking forward to having Catherine. Uh, we also have Kelly Yates, who's a, a comic book artist. He's worked on both the IDW and Titan Doctor Who lines. Um, he's been coming to the con virtually every year, so he's a fan favorite. And we'll also have the uh, Huntsville native writer-actress Ellie Collins, who I was talking about earlier as well. Cool beans. Um, you know, I think you guys mentioned something that you did that I just found interesting, which was you said that you guys have a panel w with the con chairs that are, um, you know, feedback and you're taking questions from the audience. Tell me about that or tell us about that, because that's the first I've ever heard of something like that. And uh, Clarence, you know, have you ever heard anything like that? I think that's interesting. Uh, no, I don't think I have. It was something that was started by uh, Bonnie Auden, who's, uh, I guess you could say, is the uh, conchair's conchair that won over everything. Um, and I think it's very much that we see uh, Conquistabras as being a uh, for-the-fans-by-the-fans style of convention. You know, we're not one of these big Comic-Cons or Wizard World, you know, the big corporate-run events, which frankly, turn into cattle calls at times. Um, yeah. You know, stand in line, smile, take your picture. Hello, get the, yeah, what's your name? Sign this, move on. Give me um, 40 we've bucks. Always, exactly. <laughs> we've, we've always aimed to be more personable than that. 
And that was part of the reason for doing it. It was to offer both kind of a behind the scenes uh, look at the con to kind of you know to, you know say here's how we here's kind of how we reach some of the decisions we make and here's some of the things we're thinking about doing you know but also hearing from the fans you know what are we doing right what are we perhaps not doing right what are we doing wrong for lack of a better way of being able to put it who would you like us to bring um, that kind of thing or why don't you bring guest X Y or Z for example. Um, so it's very much part of the kind of attitude that this is a convention for fans by fans. And it's also allowing, you know, the attendees to let us know what they think and to kind of hear some of our decision-making process. So, um, in, in what ways has your convention grown over the years? I think we have this thing now of, I think, especially in the last few years of, of con fatigue, you know, there are so many conventions and seem like seems like it just exploded over the last, what, four to five years. It's just gotten crazy. So yeah. what are some of the things you're doing to stay fresh and to, you know, um, be relative in probably a very um, congested con scene? Well, one of the things we do try to do is we always try to sort of rotate guests. We try not to keep bringing the same guests over and over again, though, when you only have four doctors doing American Who conventions on a regular basis. That can be kind of difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've reached out and tried to get, um, you know, people, as I said, uh, Neve McIntosh or Catherine Stewart, for example, uh, who don't do a whole lot of U.S. cons. Um but we also try to sort of branch out a bit is, you know, we'll have panels, for example, about The Prisoner, which is an iconic British series. There'll be a Supernatural panel. And in the past, we've done panels about Douglas Adams, Star Trek, Star Wars. And we're very much open to fandoms of all kinds. Uh, the first couple of years, we had the Tennessee Ghostbusters show up wow. for photo ops and that kind of thing. Cool. Um, so we're sort of very keen on sort of, you know – Finding guests who have sort of cross-fandom appeal, Sylvester McCoy, of course, not just in Doctor Who, but the Radagast the Brown and the Hobbit. Um, and also, as I said, Mark Shepard, who's been in anything and everything, it feels like at times. <laughs> um, in other ways that it's grown, certainly the number of attendees. I mean, Bonnie always likes to say that when they started it in 2011, going into 2012 for the first event, they had no idea who was going to attend. They thought maybe – 200, 300 people tops, and 500 people showed up for a first-time con with no sort of big headline guests. Uh, Kelly Yates was a guest that year. No offense to Kelly. We love him dearly. Um, but he's not on the same level as, say, a doctor or a companion, for example. Uh, but 500 people turned up for that. And the following year, we had um, Caitlin Blackwood, little Amelia Pond, Karen Gillan's cousin in real life, if you didn't know. Huh. Um, she turned up, and 1,100 people showed up. Um, and it feels like we've kind of only really grown from there, you know, and I, I never ceases to amaze me um, the fact that there was such a big Doctor Who community here in Alabama and in the southeast, for that matter, because I still remember getting into the show in 07, 08, 09 and feeling like I was the only Doctor Who fan in North Alabama anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny because I found the more that we travel and go to different conventions, we find that there are so many Doctor Who fans in places you never expect. And it just goes to show the uh, reach and the um, relatability of the show on a vast level. Indeed. Of course, I should say, you know, Huntsville is home to NASA's Marshall Space, Space Flight Center um, <laughs> and the U.S. Army's Redstone Arsenal. Um, so we are kind of, which is, you know, home to the army's missile defense, as I understand it. So we are kind of geek central for the Southeast. So maybe it was a niche that needed to be filled. Uh, I don't know. I think if you had told me 
uh, it would still be going seven, eight years later. You know, I, I wouldn't have believed you, but yet here we are. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I think it's just interesting that it's a Doctor Who convention. And who would have told Sidney Newman and Verity Lambert in 1966 that it would still be going in 2018? And here we are. <laughs> it's still going. So I, I, I'm curious to know, you know, you, you you can tell just in the way you talk about this convention that it is a lot of fun for you to do. So if I were to ask you to pinpoint your favorite experience that you've had over these six or seven years of doing this convention, can you find one that you would say, that's my favorite? Oh, on on just a purely personal level, it would be our 2016 event. I had had a bee in my bonnet from 2008 onwards that I really wanted to do a version of The Power of the Daleks, Patrick Troughton's first story, Lost from the BBC Archives. And I had had a bee in my bonnet. I wanted to do it as a fan film or as a stage play. And in 2016, uh, it, well, I should back up a bit. In 2015, I got involved with a Shakespeare group here in town and discovered, shockingly, that there's a lot of overlap between people who like acting and seeing Shakespeare plays and Doctor Who. Who would have thought? Um, and I got a group of them together, and we did a full-on uh, – 70-minute reading of The Power of the Daleks, live on stage with proper Dalek voices, um, which was just a thrill for me. And, of course, I, I got to voice the Daleks. And apparently <laughs> did quite well. Um, but we, we got a we – got a, not just a round of applause, but we got a standing ovation at the end, which, having spent eight years trying to do a version of it, was immensely gratifying just on a personal level. Um, I had hoped that we would eventually do a full-on proper staged version of it rather than a reading. And when you know about three months after the convention, the ball got dropped that the BBC had animated the entire story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was just one of those things where the timing just worked out perfectly for that. But on a, on a purely personal level, it would be that reading of The Power of the Daleks. Um, I've been lucky being involved with this convention. You know, I've interviewed three doctors on stage. Um, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Paul McGann. I've got to interview. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've got to interview Neve McIntosh and Gareth David Lloyd. Uh, I've got to interview Jason Hayallery, who gets, who runs Big Finish. Um, that, that's, if you, I just, I still yeah. sort of have to pinch myself at times to sort of realize that th these are things that I've done and that it had you told me in. 2007, standing in a small public library in a small town, that I would not only be helping run a convention for this show, but I would bring some of the people I was watching on those DVDs to Huntsville. And I would get to sit down and have conversations with them in front of an audience and behind the scenes as well. I'm not sure I would have believed you. In <laughs> fact, I probably would have put the DVDs back on the shelf and walked away. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think that is just a testament to the fandom of Doctor Who. And I think, you know, Clarence and I have seen, as, as you know, he mentioned earlier, as we travel to different conventions, you know, we've gone to conventions that are just general conventions. And we've gone to, of course, you know, Who Lantern. Now we're coming to Kind Castabras. So there's just something in, in my opinion, and I think, you know, Clarence, I think you would agree, there's just something about the Doctor Who fandom that's just almost like a family and it's just different 
on some level. And I just really can't explain it, but there is a difference there. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that, both as a fan and as a as a convention goer and as a convention organizer. And I, excuse me. I do think that that's one of the things that does set uh, Concostabras apart is, you know, we've always been told how hospitable it is um, and that people can go in and they come and have a good time. And it's also a family friendly con. Um, you know, we have a kid's room and we've got, you know, kid friendly things and we aim for the whole the whole weekend to be family friendly. Um so I think that that's a big part of it, but it's there is a certain amount of camaraderie to it. Um, I've sort of said before, maybe in a slightly pretentious thing, um, there's a quote from Paul Cornell, my favorite Doctor Who writer, that if you think about it, the Doctor is a hero for bully children. And <laughs> I really think that there's something about that because, you know, there's something about being kind of a nerd or a geek and being on the outside and being picked on that when you find your people, for lack of a better way of putting it, it's like coming home. And that's what I've, I'm always most pleased when people come up to me and say, talk about how great of an experience they have and how much it feels like they get to come home and see their family every year. Cool. Very yeah, cool. Now I will say one day we have to have this Dalek off between you, Matthew, and Cal because uh, Cal loves to do a Dalek voice as well. So we have to make that happen someday. <laughs> I look forward to it, if only because at an event in Chicago a few years ago, Nicholas Briggs comment- complimented me on my Dalek voice. So, uh-huh. well, you know, I, I would I would say Matthew that we're going to uh, do it tonight, but considering the fact that we have allergies on both uh, sides, there, I think that's going to give us a bye. Uh, it it might not be the best sense of time yeah same here (laughs) exactly the same here so matthew um where can people go to find out more about con k uh you can go to our website concastabaris.com uh, we've got a very active Facebook group where fans come and post, and we, of course, post as well. We have the Facebook page where we post various pieces of news and updates and occasionally my reviews as well. Um, we're on Twitter, Instagram. Um, if you don't know how to spell Castabarus, which is perfectly fine because it is a made-up word, um, if you just <laughs> Google Alabama Doctor Who convention, I'm willing to wager we'll probably be the top result. Cool beans. And I will also put all of those links that Matthew just mentioned in our show notes and on our, and there's also a link on our website at discussingwho.com. Just click on the Con Castabras picture on the side and it will take you directly to the website. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Well, Matthew, on behalf of Discussing Who, we can't wait for three more weeks or two and a half. It's almost now, it's almost two weeks away now, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, the days are just flying by. It won't be long now till I'll be doing our um, our social media Doctor Who countdown. So keep an eye out for that as well on Facebook and Twitter. Cool beans, cool beans. Well, it has been a joy having you on. And like I said, we can't wait to join uh, you guys in Huntsville, Alabama in a few weeks. So for anyone listening, Clarence and I will be back in just a moment to wrap up the show. Yeah, guys, and we are back 
from our interview with Matthew. We thank Matthew for coming on with us to have that wonderful talk. A lot of classic Who history with him, which, you know, judging from how late he actually got into Doctor Who, I'm surprised of the plethora of classic knowledge he has, which is really astounding. Yes, I agree. And you know what? This is something that you and I have talked about before, but have never really delved into. We really need to start getting into the Big Finish stuff. Yeah, man, I've been wanting to. I have some of it on my uh, PC. Actually, I think I got on some. Uh, it wasn't a Humble Steam Bundle. Sale. What? Humble Bundle. Yes, yes, the Humble Bundle. I have a bunch of them. I've listened to bits, but just have not dove in like I should, man. So I'm, I really need to get into it, especially after those recommendations we got from Matthew. You know, and what's really interesting for me is you would think that I would be all over Big Finish since they do a series called The Diary of River Song. Yeah, man. And even your favorite coming back, the fourth doctor. So, man, you should be all on that. I know. And I thought you were talking about Missy. (laughs) No, boo. (laughs) So uh, before we go, is there anything that you would like to uh, promote or anything else you're working on before we wrap up? Uh, Not at all. But I will say just go to DiscussingNetwork.com and check out all of our shows there. That sounds like a plan. Good deal. Well, so for anyone listening, if you are listening to this show and you will be at Kind Castabras, come by and say, hey, I heard you guys on, um, uh, you know, your episode that you were talking about and you said, come say hi. So I'm coming to say hi. So come say hi to us. And with that, we will be back next time. Discussing Who is brought to you by Audible. You've probably heard of Audible, but just in case, they are the world's leading provider of audiobooks. They have more than 180,000 titles. Let me say that again. 180,000 titles to choose from. Imagine a genre, they've got an audiobook. And these files play on smartphones, Kindles, tablets, in fact, over 500 different devices. Now, for fans of Discussing Who, Audible is offering a free download when you start a new Audible subscription. And you can choose anything at all from that vast library. But we know you want to get one of their absolutely fantastic Doctor Who titles, which include New Adventures of the Doctor, but also Torchwood and River Song. And they're performed for you by actors you know and love. Wonderful voices, Tom Baker, Alex Kingston, David Tennant. The list goes on and on. So try it out for 30 days. And if at the end of the month you decide Audible is not for you, you still get to keep that Doctor Who book you downloaded. So look at it this way. Free Doctor Who book. So here's how you get started. Point your favorite web browser to audibletrial.com slash discussing who. That's audibletrial, all one word, A-U-D-I-B-L-E-T-R-I-A-L dot com slash discussing who. Also one word. And that's how you get your free book. What could be better than that? You've been listening to the Discussing Who podcast. Discussing Who is made by fans for fans. No copyright infringement is intended. Show us your fans of the show by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter. You can find us on the web at www.discussingwho.com. Want more Discussing Who? Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Player FM, the Doctor Who Podshock Alliance, and more. Send us your feedback to discussingwho at gmail.com, or if you'd like, simply record a voice message and send that to us via your smartphone, tablet, or computer. We want to hear from you.